Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby, where we hope to be informative and entertaining and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. Fellow modelers, we welcome you back for the latest episode. Dave and I have been killing it at the bench recently, and we are both excited to have a project at or near completion. And we are also equally excited to have a friend and guest with us in the third seat tonight for a little change of pace. So let's find out what that's all about in episode 24 of Plastic Model Mojo. Well, Dave, we're, we're back again. You ready for another one? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. How about yourself? Uh, I'm good. We've got a little something different tonight. We have a uh, a guest with us. Why don't you introduce our guest? Uh, our guest and co-host for the evening is somebody that uh, listeners have heard about before, but uh, I think this is the first time they've heard from him. Jim Bates is a modeler currently living in Tacoma, Washington, practicing law out there. I met Jim many, many, many years ago, back when he lived in Akron, Ohio. Uh, we met at contests uh, in the Ohio Region 4 region, and uh, it's been so long I can't even tell you how many years ago that was. Jim, do you have any idea? I have asked the same question, and I have no idea. And by the way, hello, eh? Eh? Hello, eh? <laughs> yes, one of the many things that I regularly tease Jim about is the fact that he was born Canadian. Now he's down here and fully naturalized, so we can't throw him back across the border, but I do love to poke fun at his outrageous Canadianness whenever possible. Thanks for joining us, Jim. No problem. Glad to be here. Well, we'll start with you. What's going on in your model sphere this, this week? Oh, I have uh, two projects that have to be done by Saturday. It's five or seven o'clock to put in a display case at the Museum of Flight in Seattle. So I'm running around like crazy because I've procrastinated. And I'm sure they will end up, uh, you know, off-gassing in the case, as is normally the situation. Well, hopefully they'll be all right. (laughs) I hope so, yeah. Dave, what about you? What's going on? Well, I went to the hobby shop today, and uh, I've been in there a couple of times. I know you're shocked a couple of times recently, and was talking with Brian, the, the owner. While COVID has been a struggle for all of us, one area that has seen uh, an actual silver lining to this dark, dark cloud has been hobby shops in the hobby industry. Jim and I were on the phone earlier today, and we were talking about the fact that Hornby, the the owner of Airfix, apparently turned a profit this past year, which for them is unusual. Brian at Scale Reproductions also was telling me that business is very, very good, almost comparable to what he sees in the Christmas season. And it's been that way for the last few months. So this COVID thing's a dark cloud, but it may be a little bit of a silver lining for our hobby manufacturers and hobby retailers. Well, hopefully they don't all think it's going to be like this forever and go get really leveraged and come out of the come out of the pandemic and the in the pending downturn and go, oh crap. Wait a minute. When in American economic history has over leverage been happening? That's just that, that's just not that doesn't happen here. Yeah, Hornby apparently had a 33% percent 
increase in sales. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah, and they made 200,000. And I think in all... And I don't know if this is quarter, year, up to date, or whatever. In the past, they've always lost money. Well, somebody's got to be happy there. Yeah. So how about you, Mike? I've been doing a lot of project planning and investigation, particularly on a couple of uh, nautical subjects in uh, both 35th scale and 72nd scale. Inchai guy has really complicated my modeling worldview with these <laughs> books he's loaned me. <laughs> he has a way of doing that. He may never get his books back, so that's a cinema check. <laughs> Well, uh, Mike, uh, while you're reading all those books, uh, what are you drinking? I'm drinking a little Walcott Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. This is a uh, 90 proof offering from, unfortunately, I didn't check the label before I bought it, from Clear Springs Distillery there in Louisville. <laughs> Louisville makes good bourbon. There was a there was a nice write up on the placard there on the on the shelf, but it's uh, kind of unremarkable in my opinion, and it's just not clicking. I gave it the old college try Halloween night, and it's just, just, just not happening. It's, it's okay. It's not anything to write home about. So, yeah, I went in expensive this time after last time. This one's not going to cut it, so won't be buying this one again. Jim, what about you? I've got uh, a brown sugar bourbon from Heritage Distilleries of Gig Harbor, Washington, and it is way too sweet on its own. So I've done a bourbon and Coke. And with Coke Zero, it actually works pretty well. And it is a rather cheap one. I picked it up at Costco of all places. Hey, more money for models. There you go. There you go. And Dave, what do you got? Well, tonight I am uh, I'm drinking New Belgium's Voodoo Ranger, not their Imperial IPA, which I have made one of my regular beers, but the Voodoo Ranger straight IPA. It's uh, 7% alcohol by volume, so it's about 2% less than the Imperial IPA. Taste-wise, it's very similar. Maybe a little a little more of the fruit hop flavor comes forward in the regular IPA than the Imperial, which surprises me a little bit. I would have thought it would have been the other way around, but it's eminently drinkable and will definitely get me through this episode. So, Mike, I have a concern. Who did did you replace uh, Mr. Knights with? Because he hates IPAs. So who's this guy on the line? <laughs> it's the new Dave. <laughs> Jim, uh, you actually have my co-host to blame for that. Because Mike, Mike got me drinking Gumball, which is, while not an IPA, is... Uh, Pretty close. Yeah. And has a lot of hop, a lot more hop than I would ever drink. And... He's right. It's one of the best beers I've ever drunk, and I got hooked on it. And once I started regularly drinking that, the other IPAs didn't seem as offensive as they used to. I guess we can blame Mike for that. Oh, I think it's an improvement, not something we need to blame him for. I'm not going to come out to Tacoma and drink those hipster IPAs that they're making out in Seattle. Oh, yeah. There's some good West Coast stuff here. It's nothing but hops. It's just liquid hops. Not, not what I want to drink. I tell you, the mailbag is, again, busting at the seams, and there's some good stuff in here. So we, we better just get into it. You got it. Warren Dickinson from Elkton, Kentucky, says that uh, Scale Model Graveyard isn't confusing at all. <laughs> and he offers some valid reasons as to why the weekend-only auction format works for most most of the folks. It centers mostly around individuals' time to, de to devote to such things as keeping up with auctions and the, and the like. And he also comes up to Louisville every now and then to SRI and is looking forward to possibly meeting us when all this pandemic's over with. So welcome aboard, Warren. 
Well, Warren, Warren is a regular member of the 72nd Scale Aircraft Forum. In fact, that's where I first met him, online met. Uh, I haven't had the pleasure of meeting him in person, but uh, it was uh, my mention of this podcast over on 72nd Scale Forum that brought Warren over. So uh, I'm glad to have him here. Hopefully, uh, he'll stick around for the 72nd Scale Modeling Talk. Next is uh, Trolls Nielsen from Copenhagen, Denmark. So that's that's the first from from Denmark. I guess that's the home of Carlsberg beer, which is funny enough, was big in China when I was over there for work. Really? Hmm. Trolls wants to know our take on dioramas and vignettes and what's the best way to tell a story or present a model. Now, that's a big topic. Yeah, that's that's one we could almost do a whole episode on because there's so much, you know, going all the way back to the, the early days, there's so much talk about what constitutes a vignette? What constitutes a diorama? Does it have to tell a story? Is it a moment in time? That that we could fill an entire episode with that. Well, being an armor guy, I base most of my models. And looking at your display case, Dave, I don't think you do. Jim, do you do you do much? Not really, unless I've got a, like a 70-second scale tank or something, and they just get overwhelmed if you don't put them on something. I would agree with that. So I think we do need to shelf this one. And Trolls will get back to this possibly as a special segment in the future. Next is uh, John Volker from Adams, Tennessee. He discovered the podcast recently and is enjoying it and likes to take a little gentleman jack with him while he's uh, listening to the podcast and working on his models. He says he's 70 years young and has been modeling for as long as he can remember. His first kit was an Aurora Spitfire in 1958. He uh, showed this one to his dad when he was when he got it completed, and his dad was uh, bedridden in his final days with cancer. He said uh, he felt really proud when his dad told him what a good job he had done, and then added it was a Spitfire that had strafed him and his fellow soldiers in Normandy. <laughs> so, <laughs> the last name of Volker, I got to ask, was that a friendly fire incident or not? It's interesting. I'd be like, I'd like to hear that story. I suspect it probably was. But that would be interesting. Well, you never know. That's There's true. a lot of those guys moved over here in the 50s. That's true. Absolutely. Ah, next is our buddy Tom Romanowski from MMCL, also known as Balky. Everybody's got a nickname in the club, right? Yeah. Well, he says he just finished listening to the latest episode. Interesting subject, which was uh, last time was secondhand kits and, and the like. He says, when you mentioned from a smoke-free house, it reminded me of an SU-76 model I won at a Facebook auction site. Uh, back in the not-so-distant past. Great price, great seller, fast shipping, A-plus all around. Imagine my surprise when I got the package, opened the box for inspection, and found something extra. Nope, I'm not talking about a photo etch set or resin conversion pieces. It was tightly rolled and still illegal in most of the states. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure the gentleman was going to build that model for medicinal purposes only. (laughs) But forgot what was inside and sold it. So the moral of the story is to check the box before you shove it in the box. Yes. Well, and now I I do want to say if that's the old Allen kit of the SU-76, it would be perfectly understandable that you would need a little uh, chemical support to try and make it through that kit. Kip Jackson's back again from uh, Saline, Michigan. Just listen to the latest podcast. Always supremely listenable and entertaining. Listen to you and Mike is like hanging out at the model workbench on a comfy sofa, sipping modeling fluid, trading stories, recommendations and critiques, not to mention hurling uh, an occasional epithet. Oh, we'd never do that. Never. Well, he 
he goes on to ask uh, you, Dave, about large aircraft in 72nd scale. And he mentions a uh, uh, Tupolev 160 Blackjack and an A400 Atlas. Yeah. Kip, I often tease Dave about building small subjects in small scale. And I really like to see something substantial from him. So good on you for asking. So, you know, I replied, I replied to Kip and uh, letting a little bit of a secret out of the bag. Once I get my current projects clear of the desk, uh, my next one of my next builds is going to be a large 72nd scale subject. So stay tuned. Jim, are you a 72nd scale guy? I am also a 72nd scale guy, but I live in small quarters. So for the really big things, like say a B-52, I'd probably go to 1144. But uh, certainly single engine, twin engine, and uh, four engine World War II stuff, 70 seconds away to go. And if you like really tiny tanks, 70 seconds is the way to go. Ken Freund from uh, Livingston, Montana. No shelf of doom, but he has a naughty closet, which I always thought was a party game. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was Uh, something else. His uh, solution to this situation is he breaks one out every January 1st and pushes it forward to the finish. And he must do more than one a year because he says over the last couple of years, he's finished, well, more than one and has gone from over a dozen or so down to about five. Primary reason for them ending up in the naughty closet kind of will tie in with our special segment. So So I'll... save that. But he did go on to say on that topic of individual sprues we talked about last time, he had a couple of good examples uh, in the aircraft world. He recently bought just the uh, the engine and the wiring sprues from the Trumpeter P40B in 32nd scale because he's working on the old Revell P40E and there's no aftermarket Allison engine in 32nd scale. So while it's not exactly the same mark of engine enough is similar that he could use a lot of it to jazz up his kit and he's also buying the wings from a monogram b17g to graft onto the Ravel f so there you go that's a good solution yeah though that that really does make sense especially in regard to the p40 actually this is a topic that uh, dave keeps forgetting we have a mutual friend who actually does this in the car model world and he sells car sprues and he seems to act like it's quite the big business. So he'll part out his kits and sell each individual sprue, and the car guys love it. Yeah, engines, wheels, bodies. Yep. Yep, that makes exactly. a lot of sense, too. Bryn Sheehan from uh, from Ireland. We, we got two from outside the States this time, Dave. That's All right. Pretty good. We're international. Another another secondary market uh, email. He was lamenting one of his his only bad eBay experience in 19 years of buying. is an Airfix uh, Puma SA330. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently it's an, an uncommon but popular kit. I looked on eBay. They're not grossly expensive, but, you know, they're kind of more expensive than some of the other vintage Airfix. Sure. The one he got was surprisingly started and in a rather amateurish manner as well with tube glue. Ooh. And he just says, when you're buying this kind of stuff, ask for better photos if they're not any good. And uh, always ask questions if there's something that's not obvious. Bren, our model club has a vernacular for such a kit and we call it spanked. Yep. All right. Well, that should wrap up listener mail. All right. As usual, right about this point, uh, I'm going to ask the listeners and we've got more of them. The number we have keeps growing and I want to thank all of you for doing that, tuning in for telling people. Uh, When you're done with this podcast, if you would take a moment, go over to your favorite podcasting app and rate this episode. We'd like you to give it five stars. 
the more five-star reviews we get, the more visible our podcast becomes and leads to new members. In addition to Dave's suggestion to, to rate the podcast for us, uh, we want you to tune into our fellow podcast, On the Bench with Dave Ian and Julian out of Australia. In their latest episode, they're talking with a gentleman who just started or in the process of starting Beacon Models, which is a uh, a model company that's going to be focusing on one to one forty four scale aircraft models. Scale Model Podcast uh, out of Canada. They're talking uh, RightCon with John Bonani. And Stuart was off this week caring for his for his wife, so he wished them the best. And uh, I told him Anthony didn't wreck the car, so right, they did a decent job, I thought. And Plastic Posse Podcast with uh, Scott, Doug, and TJ. They have an inter- interesting chat with uh, Martin Kovach, a.k.a. Uncle Night Shift, so be sure to check all those out. Definitely. Since we're doing pitches and plugs, Jim, won't you tell us about what you got going on? All right. Well, I... Um a long time ago, started a blog called The Scale Canadian, and I have been somewhat negligent in my writing, but when COVID hit, I got the idea of, why don't I talk about modeling? It'll give me something to do. So I started a Scale Canadian TV on YouTube, and I just talk about what's going on my bench and try to be sarcastic and make terrible pop culture references. And uh, people actually watch, which I'm not really sure why. So... Uh, <laughs> That's mainly what's going on. I'll also throw in a plug for IPMS Canada, since I am the Canadian. Uh, We have uh, been working on some free decal sheets. So if you join up now, you'll probably get a decal sheet with your RT magazine in the next year. Jim brings up IPMS. That gives me a chance to once again remind people, if you're not a member of your national IPMS chapter, IPMS USA, or for those living in the Great White North, uh, IPMS Canada, or wherever you are in the world, Copenhagen, Denmark, or Ireland, or wherever, if you have a national IPMS organization, please consider joining it. They're they're a good organization. They do a lot for scale modeling, uh, a lot that most people don't recognize. Uh, They usually have a great publication to go along as a membership benefit. I know both IPMS Canada and IPMS USA produce magazines, and they are two of the better modeling magazines out there of any sort. So definitely, if you get a chance, please consider joining your national IPMS organization. And finally, we'll talk a little bit about RightCon and the Golden Sprue Awards. The Golden Sprue voting wrapped up Saturday, this past Saturday. I'm anxious to hear how that went. So I'm sure maybe some of the other podcasts will have something in the week following next. And then RightCon, the uh, online version of the Region 4 IPMS Regional Convention. The entries for that wrap up on November 7th, which will be the day after this drops. So if you hear this on the day it drops, you've got about 18, 24 hours to get your uh, your entries into RightCon if you intend on uh, entering and supporting that contest. And now it's time for Countdown to Vegas. How many more days, Mike? Well, before we get there, Bob Lomasaro said he was enjoying episode 23. said, Dave and I were becoming regular uh, a regular Martin and Lewis team. Oh, God. <laughs> so I'm not saying who's who, but I'm going to sit here and enjoy my drink while you talk about your next telethon, Dave. <laughs> well, I think the reason he liked the episode was he finally got to hear his name, his correct name used. I think you're probably right. Is is this a telethon for the uh, David uh, Knight Styrene Foundation? Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs>
we we reach out and help spanked kids reach their proper place. Okay, I thought it was preserving styrene for future generations in your basement and attic. Well, okay, yeah. A little bit of money might go that way, but I don't want the IRS looking too closely. (laughs) Back on task, though, at the time of recording, it's 287 days away to the IPMS National Convention in Las Vegas, Nevada, and Bob suggested this, so let's talk trophy sponsorships. 30% 30% of the spots are now sold, including some large ones from uh, Grex Airbrush and Spray Gunner. They've picked up the vendor room and the attendee name badges and one of the Nats t-shirts. Sprue Brothers has picked up the contest room and one of the other Nats t-shirts. A lot of the special awards have been picked up already and some notable ones there are IPMS Mexico, John's Models Hobby Shop, IPMS West Michigan, Iwata Scale Modelers, which I think is a Facebook group. Centennial IPMS, which is in Colorado Springs. IPMS Oakland. IPMS Oregon Mid-Valley. And, of course, Plastic Model Mojo. So, if you're a club, business, or individual and like to sponsor a trophy package of some sorts at some level for the IPMS National Convention, jump on the convention website. There's a, there's a link on there and I'll read it off, but it's kind of long. www.natslv2021.com slash trophy hyphen sponsor. That's the, uh, the URL to get directly to the trophy sponsorship page. There's also a pull down on the menu. We'll also put this in the show notes. Uh, some additional news. Event registration opens February 1st, but they already have confirmed guests from Australia, China, Japan, Mexico, uh, various parts of South America, UK, Germany, and Czech Republic. So a lot of international interest in this one this time. And I think this one will be big due to the location. Speaking of that, Jim, have you made your hotel reservations for the Nats? I've had my hotel reservations since they opened up. I am really looking forward to it. Well, that's good because uh, they now are up to 2,700 room nights sold, so 1,100 over their estimated budget and expectation. Wow. So they've they've more than than doubled that. And the vendor's tables are expected to be sold out by the end of the year. Wow. Glad we got that taken care of. Amen. Well, there's a – I'll tell you what. I think that because of the cancellation of San Marcos, there is a pent-up demand – Las Vegas has the potential for really just being a blowout convention. And you definitely don't want to miss that because uh, Chattanooga year before last was was the most amazing one I've seen. And this has the potential to equal that. So consider going. If you, if you haven't been planning on it, start planning on it. And that's the update from Bob. So, uh, guys... We've reached that time in the episode where we talk about our bench tops. And since we've got a guest here, uh, let's let him go first. So, Jim, what's, what's your bench top look like? Well, it's wooden and flat. Um, okay. And yeah. then there's stuff piled all over it. Ha ha. Hey. So, what are you building? Okay, thank you. Um, well, as I said before, I've got a uh, two projects for the Museum of Flight. We, uh, my local club, the Northwest Scale Modelers, which meets at the museum, we have a display case that we fill three or four times a year with a different display. And the one going in Saturday is on 1945, the end of the war. 
So I've got a P-51 Mustang flown by one of the Canadian squadrons that flew the last RCAF op after the war, which was the day after VE Day. Uh, They flew top cover for the retake of the Channel Islands, and it sounds like they just went up and flew around and nobody cared that they were retaking the Channel Islands. Uh, I've also got a zero that I'm doing in captured markings. And then there's probably three or four other things there, like a mosquito for our group build. And I've got a Sea Fury group build going on. So just way too many models. And we'll, maybe we'll talk about that later in the special segment. Uh, Mike, uh, as if everyone who follows our Facebook page didn't know, what's uh, your bench top look like? Well, it's a little less occupied than before. Yeah. Uh, my air- my Airfix, Airfix Bofors and Morris Tractor nostalgia build is is done. Woo! And that's right. Whistles and bells. I got the base work done this past week, and I'm really pleased with the way the little thing came out. Kind of shocked, actually, at the way that turned out. And it's going to be, be an entry in RightCon if I can get the pictures made. Well, I got to say, Mike, I built that kit when I was in high school, and I'm amazed that that's the old Airfix 76 scale kit. I built it. A little earlier than that in my modeling journey. And uh, the first one I built, I just painted the tires black and stuck the decals on and uh, used it to uh, fend off the Airfix Africa Corps. <laughs> Glad to know you were successful in doing so. East Tennessee was never conquered by the Africa Corps. Uh, my E16 Paul is moving forward again. I've been working on the fuselage seam and I had it about near perfect and I split it. I, I split the uh, forward. Uh, upper area of the cowling or just behind the cowling between the windscreen and the cowling when I I pinched the uh, wing root a little too tight. So I've got that fixed and I'm ready to slip the floor into it and then mount the wings and then finish up the the redo on that top seam. I think uh, giving a little more rigidity will help me not do that next time. And actually the ZIS-2 anti-tank gun, I spent some time getting mentally caught up with that one. <laughs> Uh, a couple of days ago, and uh, I'm about to start putting the pin washes on the on the wheels. So that's that's going to be next for that one. Well, you mean you got the layer of dust off of it? Hey, it's in a case. There's no dust on it. <laughs> All I, right. I learned I learned my lesson long ago. Now, what are you building? Well, um, my bench is about to get a little clearer because, uh, as Mike and I have said a number of times, one of the main reasons we started doing this. Uh, podcast was uh, to keep our mojo alive, to keep accountability, and uh, to keep our our enthusiasm up. Well, uh, Mike's recent finishing of that Airfix um, build uh, caused me to take a look at uh, my bench and where things were and how close the bibber was to being finished. So I put the other things aside on my bench and concentrated on the bibber and uh, got over my fear, which we'll talk about later, and got the thing moving. And it is now almost complete. And in fact, hopefully by the time this episode drops, it'll be done. Then I just got to get some photographs of it and put it in the case. Uh, so Mike, thanks for the the little goose there. You You got me got me moving. The M30 is coming along. I've got one of the trails done. I'm working on the other trail. Once the bibber uh, gets finished, then the M30 will move back into the finished building space. 
the mosquito continues to plod along. I've pushed it a little bit back in order to get the bibber done. But uh, since Jim and I have a, a Zoom call coming up uh, among the five members of the who are building the mosquito for the group build, I'm going to have to bring that back out and get some more work done on it. But I'm pretty pleased with it so far. Finally, the AS1, which is very close to done, which I started when I acquired it at Chattanooga over a year ago, uh, which has been kind of languishing as I've been working on the other things. Jim pointed out helpful, helpfully to me that I need to get off my butt and finish it because it's about 95% done, and he's correct. So I'm going to try and squeeze that one in there as well so that it doesn't fall to the shelf of doom. I got to say, I'm pretty pleased with uh, the movement on the bench the last uh, two weeks. It's actual progress, steps forward, not steps back. And this is where I have to say, Dave, that's the Justin Bibber, correct? Uh, yeah, right. Yes. Thank you. You've gotten me to the point where I call it Bieber half the time instead of Bibber. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, any way I could help. You live to serve, I know. Well, all this talk about the uptick in the in the model industry, I'm sure some wallets have been damaged here. Jim, uh, you've been you've been spending much money out on the West Coast there on uh, crap you don't need. I have been spending a ridiculous amount of money on crap I don't need uh, because usually I spend the summer going to air shows and traveling around, and none of that has happened. So I just buy models I'll never build, and I just got a box of Hurricanes and a Wildcat from Arma of Poland. They did their uh, Hurricane 2B with the uh, 12-gun wings. So I have a bunch of those, one of which needs to go off to Louisville. And uh, it's a nice kit. It's the Mark II kit with additional sprue to make the uh, Mark IIc with an additional sprue to make the Mark IIb. And it's beautiful like all the Armor Hurricanes are. Dave? Yeah. Well, I, as I mentioned, I went by the local hobby shop. Uh, I picked up a couple more AK watercolor pencils, which are ridiculously inexpensive. So I, I did that. But you know what broke my wallet? Hannets. Hannets broke my wallet. Jim and I are participating in the uh, Mosquito group build. Uh, I decided what aircraft I wanted to do. I didn't have the decals for that aircraft in my uh collection. Uh, so I got on Hannett's and found the decals I needed and a decal sheet to make up any set of codes that I want to do because I want to do a particular aircraft. Then, of course, while you're at Hannett's and you just can't order one or two things, you got to order enough, enough to justify the expense of the shipping, which is really pretty darn cheap uh, but still once you're there and buying you start adding things a little bit at a time and then uh, of course you you call up Jim on the west coast and say Jim hey I'm making a Hannett's order do you need anything and of course we can always couple come up with a couple of things he, we need and so I place an order seven to 10 days later, a box shows up at my office and uh, Hannett's broke my wallet. At your office? At my, well, of course I get it shipped <laughs> to my office. <laughs> I'm not stupid. <laughs> of course I get it shipped to my, my office. <laughs> I just want to know in the order, did you secretly order me a uh, Zvezda C-130 and sending it to me as a surprise Christmas present or Halloween present? 
No, I did not, because when I placed the order, the Zvezda C-130s were not yet in. However, by the time the order arrived, the C-130s were in. So I thought I'd let you place the next order and you would get me one as a Christmas gift. That's how that's how generous I am to let you do that. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Well, I made a a bench top edition. This broke my wallet. I I bought a new uh, task lamp. My crappy uh, big box store uh, gooseneck lamp finally broke irreparably. So I bought a, uh, it's from a company called NeatFi, and it's a 2200 lumens LED in about the uh, 5000 Kelvin color temperature range. So it's it's up in the daylight kind of true spectrum or full spectrum. It's dimmable. It's got presets. It's LED, so it's not like analog. It's got 25% decrements for uh, for the dimmable feature. It's about... Oh, 20 inches wide and it's the mount on it's really robust and it's got a long reach and it stays where you put it. And I really recommend this thing if you don't have something like this. Why did you choose this particular one? And and what kind of price range does something like that set you back? It's about 95 on Amazon compared to the $18 ones I've been buying all my life. It's a pretty, pretty big step up. I like the uh, the color temperature and the brightness of it. I've also got two uh, like work floodlights at the top of my bench. I haven't even been using those since I since I got this thing. Yeah, well, one thing you can almost never have too much of is light. Well, that's for sure, especially at our age. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, the older I get, the harder it is to see this stuff. Because yeah. when I was a kid, I'd model in the dark, and now yeah, now it only looks like you've been modeling in the dark. Exactly. Exactly. In addition, I picked up uh, Ryfield's models T thirty four eighty five. No, I've not dived into the uh, Plastic Posse podcast uh, group build yet. I don't know if I will. I might. Um, it's a pretty nice kit. I like it. It wasn't that expensive, really, and it's just uh, pretty well done. I, I get to watch them vet vet out all the the problems in the instructions and uh, stuff that doesn't fit quite so good. So I'll have a pretty pretty straightforward build when it's all said and done. Has there been much conversation on the T34 modeling group about that kit yet? Uh, yeah, there's been some on there too, but most of those guys came over to the build, the the group build since everybody was building the same thing. So that's going pretty well. And then also picked up some uh, ammunition boxes for the uh, Japanese uh, triple 25 millimeter anti-aircraft gun. I've got that pit road kit project in the incubator. And uh, these were 3D printed, and they're shapeways, so we'll see how they are. The guy only had them up to 48 scale, and he sized them up and posted them up there for me, so I went ahead and got them. They weren't too expensive, but uh, we'll see if they're usable when I get them. I hope so. Uh, I'll be interested to hear what your experience is, and hopefully it's better than uh, the Canadian UAV that uh, Jim bought on off of Shapeways. Yeah, that thing looked like it was uh, molded out of Rice Krispies. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Yeah, it's I bad. keep what I keep doing is uh, shooting with primer and sanding it, and it still has surface texture. You know, the plans for those ammo lockers are in the book from uh, Inchai, so I was trying <laughs> to save myself some time. I, I don't know. We'll, well see cons- what happens. Consult with the man. He can. He 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 has a lot of experience with the Japanese stuff from Shapeway, so. He can be your he can be your Sherpa in that regard. Well, that's that's what's on my bench, and we'll just get on into our special segment, which is uh, titled "Fear and Self Loathing in Scale Modeling." And to kind of kick this off, I'll go back to uh, 
Ken Freund's listener mail. The reason my builds end up in the naughty closet vary from everything discussed, but I will but I think the primary reason is because I hit a point where, where I want to do something with the build that exceeds my experience. Over the years, I've learned it's not so much about experience as it is the confidence to jump in and do it. So fear, fear and modeling. So let's let Jim go first. What do you got to say on this topic? Well, as your attorney, I advise you to stop letting fear control your modeling. Um, no, so I this, this probably goes back to the past. Um, I used to, when I lived in Ohio, I finished nothing. And it was because probably what the, the, the listener said is my abilities never matched my, my dream of what I was seeing in my head. And for a long time, it, it really was a problem. And there were years I finished nothing. And I finally got to the point where I couldn't let this continue because I wasn't getting any modeling done. And as much as I complained earlier about doing these builds for display at the museum, they're kind of a double-edged sword because part of it is I am assigned things I have to build. But on the other hand, they don't have to be perfect. They don't have to be contest models. And when I moved to Seattle, it kind of jump-started my finishing because I finally just said, you know what? I'm a mediocre modeler. I just need to get better. And kind of the idea where this all started was two different uh, quotes from friends of mine. One, uh, Dave has mentioned before, was uh, Tim Nelson, who's a local exceptional model here in Seattle, who said, well, when you say you're going to wait till you get better, what's your plan to get better? And that was a little bit of an eye-opening thing because that's what I used to say all these years. Oh, I'll save this till I get better. And I spent a lot of time building really crappy kits to save the good ones until I get better. And I finally got over that. Um, Dave made me throw out all my Airfix and Matchbox kits and uh, build nice things. And then the other problem is I tend to slow down as I get closer to the finish. And I'm a big procrastinator. So the fear kind of grips me when you get to the end and it's looking pretty good. And that was kind of laid out by a mutual friend of ours, John Vitkus. And he was talking about, there's kind of two ways to approach life. You can approach life either with love and understanding or fear. He's a psychiatrist um, or psychologist, I forget which. And what he and I both say is that's how we approach life. But when it comes to modeling, it's scary and, and you, you're afraid to screw up. And, you know, the reality is these are what, $10, $50 boxes of plastic toys. So why do we let ourselves be afraid of them? Because what's the worst that happens? You screw it up, you throw it away, you go buy a new one, or you just go to the closet of doom and get six or eight more you've already bought. And it was kind of an eye-opening experience to say these aren't some fetished property. They're not something that's so important. And I think a lot of modelers look at it that way. And so what I'm just trying to do is try something new every time, try to get things done. And I don't any have any of the answers, but um, I struggle with this all the time of how do we not let the fear take hold and how do we accept, hey, it's just a model. It's not that it's not life or death. There's a lot worse things to deal with there in the, out in the world. Building off what Jim talked about, um, it is it, it seems silly to talk about fear in modeling. I mean, it's a hobby. What the 
fear sounds stupid, but whatever it is, it is there. Uh, you know, the bibber that I that I'm just about to finish, it it sat for at least 30, if not 60 days in the condition where it was all painted and, and uh, uh, ready for me to do what I had intended to do. I intended to use it as a, not exactly a paint mule, but a, a learning experience uh, for uh, some of uh, Night Shift's uh, chipping techniques. And, you know, this model isn't particularly important to me. It wasn't something that I'd always wanted to build or anything like that. It was just when I was working on the MiG-17 and it was in the paint shop, I needed something to put together to something on the build side of my uh, my table. And so I didn't really have an emotional investment in it or anything, but still... I got to that stage where I wanted to do chipping, which I hadn't done before. So it was new to me. And there was there was a fear of screwing it up, which is stupid. I mean, it's a cheap model. It, it, I didn't have that much time invested in it. So by all accounts, there definitely shouldn't have been fear, but there was. And frankly, it sat there for, like I said, either 30 or 60 days not going anywhere. And it was a conversation with uh, Jim where he mentioned what Tim Nelson had said to him about what's your plan to get better. And and psychologically, that made sense to me. By the way, if you've never seen Tim Nelson, Nelson's an amazing modeler, and clearly he doesn't let fear get in his way. He, he definitely moves forward and obviously, that has caused him to get better. It's amazing. But what Jim said really struck a chord with me, and that was what I needed to pick the, that and your, your moving forward on the uh, Bofors project uh, were the twin inspirations to get off my butt and actually move forward on this thing. And while it's far from perfect... Uh, I learned a lot. I learned about chipping. I learned some stuff that uh, uh, hopefully I'll use in the future. It feels good. Like I said to Jim all the time, it feels good to finish a model. There is there is something mojo inspiring about just finishing, even if it's not your best work, even if it's not you know exactly the way you imagined it in your mind's eye. There is something about getting fired up by just simply finishing a kit. Well, I think where it reared its head with me was going all the way back to before my, I pushed pause on the thing for better part of 10 years. Right. I, you know, you know, my SU 76 project, you know, where my game was coming into the two thousands, 2003, four, when we were at that amp show, 2003 or four. And I, I saw that model that was built that had been influenced by, you know, the avant-garde at the time, Miggy Menez, Adam Wilder, kind of kind of stuff going on on that model. And it was such a such a quantum leap. And from where I was, and and I was always a very serial builder and a very slow builder and methodical. And I had a deep, a deep vested interest in every project I picked. I did not ever have anything I was working on. That was a a project that was the only intent was to to wring some enjoyment out of it or or whatever. Um, it wasn't a a sidebar. And 
when all that stuff changed and I started doing the, the, the mental calculation about, well, it took me this long to get to here and I don't know how to do any of that crap. It just got to where I didn't want to do it. And that made me stop for a long time. And then I think as I tried to get back into it, I started that, that PT 76 project. That was the whole intent of that project was to, to try to learn the stuff. And, uh, it was just roadblock after roadblock. And, you know, I was, I was trying this. I didn't like it was the way it's going. I just, I thought I would never get any enjoyment out of anything again. And finally, I don't know if I, this podcast has helped, but uh, I've learned some new ways to think about things and to know that, of course, finishing is a great motivator for the next one. And from a, from a technical side, though, trying new things, but not trying it on the thing you're trying to make look like like Jim said, you've got this picture in your mind of how you want it to look. I, I've learned to try things, you know, paint mules, things like that. And, and the, and the, uh, like the base work for the little bofers. Um, I, I was using something I hadn't used in a long time, coupled with a, a product I had just started using. So when, when the groundwork, when it's time to do that, and I had a picture in my mind as to what I wanted that to look like within certain bounds, I went and I got out the stuff and I, I, I made a base, a small base to try a couple of things. And, try, try, you know, I showed you the two colors I was thinking right. and uh, kind of went from there. But little things like that helped me get get grounded and and help me have the confidence going forward that I'm not going to make the mistake on the thing I, I don't want to make the mistake on or to to have a plan that lets me proceed on something I care a little bit more about. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, another thing that, that I'm coming to understand more is that with very rare exception, such as dropping a model, there's nothing you can't come back from. Now, yeah, if you try a technique, and it uh, particularly with finishing, you know, Mike, when you and I, way back when, and I'm sure Jim uh, relates to this, Way back when, it wasn't so much the finish on the model as it was the construction and the detailing and and all of that stuff. But so much more emphasis now is on the finish and the weathering and the chipping and the this and the that. And because those are finishing techniques, the model is 90% done and you're afraid you're going to apply a technique that you're not familiar with or you're trying something out and you're going to screw up the model. I'm only now coming to realize that, and I know this sounds stupid, but it's true, there's almost no mistake that you can you can make that you can't fix. I mean, you may have to go back and just repaint the whole sucker and start the process again, which, yeah, is negative modeling, and we know negative modeling is a mojo killer, but there's almost nothing you can't recover from. Well, Jim, what are some of your defenses against this? Well, what I was going to say is I also have another problem, which is things that really matter to me don't end up in my model case. So a lot of my favorite airplanes aren't in my model case. Uh, I mentioned earlier I bought a bunch of Hurricanes, and the Hurricane's my favorite type. And I don't have – well, I've got a little Hurricane in 1144, but it's hard when you have things you have a lot of knowledge about. And 
I do agree that one of the big things that's the the learning thing is nothing can't be fixed because I spent a lot of time saying, I'm going to build the perfect model. Well, first of all, I don't think that exists. And second of all, my skills aren't there. And the only way to get better is if you make a mistake, fix it. I agree. And I think that that's one of the things I, I, and I didn't mention this before, when I started the Scale Canadian TV, part of the reason to do that was to have some sort of um, accountability each week to try to have something done. And that hasn't worked. So I think it's more just mindset because where I struggle with this is it's supposed to be fun. And sometimes it just doesn't feel like fun. And there's a lot of other things to go out and do. Well, Jim, there's actually something I wanted to, to bring up that related to exactly that. I find, okay, this is a hobby. We do it because we enjoy it. We get some sort of enjoyment out of it. Uh, you know, you can come in, sit down at your bench, turn your brain off all the troubles in the world and and model. And I find two things when I don't have the motivation to model, it is one of two things. Either A, I'm working on something that I don't want to work on. It's a subject I'm not interested in. I got sucked into it because of a group build or for some reason I got into it and the kid isn't enjoyable because let's say it's trumpeter and the instructions suck rocks which isn't the case with the M30. I'm still liking building it. But it's either about the kit, the model, the subject, or it is I am letting other things in my life intrude upon my enjoyment of the hobby. I'm sit- I don't feel motivated to go to the bench, not because of what's on the bench, but because I'm worried about you know, a case of a a trial I've got coming up or, you know, one of the kids needs this or that, or there's something that needs to be done around the house. And I am letting those life things intrude and prevent me from getting in the mood to go model, which is the whole point of going to model for me, or one of the big points is the relaxation I get from putting the world to the side for the next hour and just enjoying the bench. So for me, it's one or the other. It's either I'm not motivated because what's on my bench, I'm not getting any enjoyment out of, or I'm not motivated to go to the bench because I'm letting the things that are happening external in my life intrude on my ability to go and sit down and push them all to the side. And and I agree, and I think that's one of the most bizarre things about this is we get enjoyment from this, but when life gets – and maybe it's just me. I sometimes feel like I get really avoidant that if life is stressful, I kind of just shut down. So I don't go to the bench. I don't go hang out with the modelers when that would probably do me a heck of a lot of good. And that's the one thing I'm trying to figure out sometimes is why do I avoid things that will provide some joy because other things in life are bumming me out. And I got to admit, I don't really run into and, and, and you joke about this all the time. I don't really run into being bored. Um, I run into the exact opposite problem, which is the hey, squirrel, you know, um, <laughs> that 
something will show up in my email box or I'll see something on Twitter or Facebook. And, and I, I, I end up then, oh, I'm going to go start that and I'm going to go start that and I'm going to go start that. And then I got 40 million things. And I think that also sh- shuts me down as well is instead of focusing on one or two, I got 80 things on the bench and, you know, oh, oh here's something new. That's more fun. Yeah, or or you have the literal eighty tabs open in your browser. Modern technology, for all the wonder from it, encourages any ADHD tendencies we already have. And one thing that modeling does require is concentration. Um, and and I do think that a lot of modern life and modern technology keeps us or or discourages that level of concentration, that level of, okay, go put your phone down, sit down at the bench, don't look at your phone, don't scroll through Twitter, uh, and, and lose yourself in your hobby for the next hour. Which, by the way, when I do it, it is, I, I am, my mental health is so much better when I have spent that hour at the bench and all of the troubles of the world have been pushed away, I come back to the world with a new, fresh, and better attitude, which is what a hobby is supposed to do for you. Right. And I think where I end up is, oh, I don't feel like modeling, so I'm going to doom scroll on Twitter. Or, yeah, you're right. I spend an hour doing something on my stupid phone, which I will admit I'm addicted to as opposed to sitting at the bench and spending an hour building models. And you're right, you'll come out of it better, but it's almost like there's a feedback. The feedback loop is messed up. You know, you should be happy. I'm happy I'm building, so I feel better. No, 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 I don't want to build because I feel crappy, so I'm just going to do stuff that makes me feel crappier. (laughs) All right, uh, Mike, you need to chime in here so that Jim and I don't sound like uh, we're the only insane people uh, who suffer from this. Well, here, here's one who's done something on your model and then had the thought, what is the next person who sees this going to think? And I don't mean your sister or whatever. I mean, you know, a knowledgeable person in the hobby. Um, have you ever let that make you a second guess something you just did or, or uh, get fearful of uh, taking it any further? I, I, I have, I think. How so? Just uh it was part of the contest mentality when I was building more. Well, I would always say I was building for myself, but, uh, I really, I was really, uh, kind of building to the, to, to the judge's eye, if you will. And it was kind of a buzzkill a lot of times. I can see that you're not building it to please yourself. You're trying to build it to please somebody else. Yes. Or impress somebody else or whatever. Yeah, my problem with that is I would say I'm more of a critic than anybody else because I, I'll be happy to say all day long, and I've probably said it a few times, I'm a mediocre modeler and I generally get okay feedback, occasionally win an award, but I still think it sucks. So I think I'm my own harshest critic, which is the problem. And I, I, Dave and I have talked about this as I'm kind of a frustrated, if, if I was a multi-billionaire, I would have my own you know, collection of warbirds and airplanes. And really that's what I'm trying to create and scale. And I want them to look a certain way. And when they don't, I get frustrated and I don't care if they win awards. 
I also noticed, though, and this is the weirdest things, if I look at my models from five or ten years ago that I remember hating when I finished it, I can't see what's wrong with it now. Now, it <laughs> might be it's so caked in dust that we can't see. but um, And that was a little bit of a wake-up call for me of looking at some older stuff and thinking, why did I hate this so much? Because it's okay. You know, it's not perfect, but it's never going to be. Well, I, I was the same way with, with the models and less so now. And I, I think something that's interesting though, is that um, I'm kind of that way with this podcast now. Um, we'll, we'll finish up a session and I'll be like, eh, man, I don't know. And then I'll get into editing. I'll edit it down and, and, and we'll put it out there because we got to put it out there. I get positive feedback. We get a bunch of listener mail and it's like, okay, man, I'm, I'm pretty hard on myself in that regard. And I, and I used to be that way uh, at the model, at the bench, less, less so now. And, you know, another thing I've been able to do, I've got, well, I just finished one, but I've had three, three projects going on, on my bench, sort of the, one of them's kind of got sidelined. I got a little further down the road with one of the others, but, uh, I've never been able to do that until I've kind of had this perspective change on why I was doing it and what I was getting out of it. Well, and I think perspective is a good point, too, because we think, you know, even when we finish these models, and, and this is the long-range perspective, 100 years from now, nobody's going to care. So yeah. why do we get so twerked off of something that sits in our display case? I don't know how much you even look at your old models. I don't much. Like, I like looking at my case. Hey, there's some nice things there, but it's not like I pull them out and study them. <laughs> That's an interesting point. Yeah, <laughs> that is. That's a real good point. When I finish... Now, Again, now my uh, Jim knows because he's been here. Um, my model, well, so is Mike, as a matter of fact. Uh, my model cases are in the bar in the basement, and it's not often that you know that I, I'm in there for any length of time. So, I mean, it's nice to look at them. It's nice to see the finished stuff uh, and all that, but really, it's getting to the point of having the finished model that brings me that endorphin hit. When I finish a model, I get an actual endorphin hit. And you, you should know, get that looked at. Yeah, I know. Um it's probably, it's probably something else. Yeah, yeah. I could probably be cured with medicine. But uh, you know, depriving yourself of that endorphin hit is stupid. Uh, especially letting fear you deprive you of it. Now we all want to get better. I mean, yeah, I am. I am never going to be Mike Grant's of the world or the uh, uh, Barry Numerics of the world. But you know what? I'm I'm okay with that. I am really. While I'll take a model and enter a contest or take it to the monthly meeting and let other people see it, that's really not the goal in building. And so. You know, you are your own harshest critic, but let let up on yourself a little bit. Well, and I, you know, not to speak for your co-host here, but the, the saddest thing I hear is when I hear Mike talk that I just, you know, he said he just felt that he couldn't meet, you know, the new standards. And that's, to me, the scariest part of all this is he basically gave up. Yeah. Yep. You know, rather than getting the enjoyment, doing some building, and maybe it doesn't meet his standards, he just walked away. And I think that's the worst part of this whole topic of you just say, screw it, I'm giving up. Well, I think I've come to terms with it now. I'm 
I'm in pretty good shape. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. <laughs> Mike, do you think that age has something to do with that? Do you think that, that age gave you a different perspective, either that or raising two kids? I think certainly yes, but I wouldn't be able to put my finger on exactly what about it other than with age comes wisdom, I guess. And and with that comes, again, perspective. And I got to, I knew how much I had enjoyed it at one time before. And then, you know, I get back into it. We start this podcast. It was kind of funny because I was just starting to get back into this, the, the, the building again when we started this. And it's been a big help for us, or for me anyway, the, the, the podcast and the accountability. Mm-hmm. But it's just that uh, all those pressures I put on myself are gone. And I'm sure when I was doing the AMPS national shows a lot and we, I was going to the occasional IPMS national convention when it was looked like something I could, could go to travel distance or whatever time-wise, I, I would, you know, I put a lot of pressure on myself. It's just all that's gone now. And I, and I, and I wonder, cause back then, well, I don't, I don't think, no, Wes was born in, in 2004. My last AMP show was 2003. So maybe that's a clue right there as to, as to what changed my perspective. Kids, marriage, all yeah. that, family, job to some extent, but that that's not been one that's encroached too much over the years. And I, I don't know. I just, I think uh, I took a step back when I came back into it. I, I was, I'm just doing it for a different reason now. And it's yeah. just a hell of a lot more enjoyable. Yeah. Doing it for the right reasons. I mean, Contests are wonderful, but if your focus is I am going to be judged on this and that is your your major focus, I think that that certainly can rob you of the enjoyment you would otherwise get. But actually, something you said that I think is awfully important, modeling can be a solitary hobby. By its very nature, it tends to be solitary. But the the thing that I find that helps me break through whatever log jam I'm, I deal with when I hit one is interacting with other modelers. I mean, I talk to both of you nearly every day, either on the phone or by text. You know, I, I see Mike's latest build finish up on that Airfix build, and it's motivating or I talk to Jim and we're both building the mosquito and we talk about whatever we've encountered or, or what it's motivating. If you have other modelers that you interact with regularly, it's one of the things I like about our Facebook page. Well, Dave, the other thing I would say about that is what you and I have noticed on our mosquito group build that we do a two hour zoom and it flies like it's five minutes. Oh my lord, that is absolutely true. Yeah. We once a once a month we get together on a Zoom call and we five guys just sitting around where we're ostensibly having this Zoom call to talk about the the mosquitoes we're building and and what we've encountered and this or that. That conversation lasts maybe 15 minutes and then we are off to the races on every subject, even tangentially related to modeling. And honest to gosh, it's, you look down and we've been on the phone, we've been on the Zoom call for two hours. And I couldn't have told you that we were on more than 
20 minutes because we're all having so much fun. We're interacting. And I don't know about you, Jim, but when I get off those calls, I find myself, I find my mojo really had been goosed by that interaction. Yeah, I would agree. I I have a slightly different answer. I think some of my changes and views, and, and we can call this perspective, does have to do with getting older. Um, not not in the way you would think, but it, it makes you realize what's important and, and kids and family and job. That's what is important. These are just pieces of plastic. And while it's fun and we all are excited about it and it motivates me, again, taking the kind of cosmic perspective of 100 years, it doesn't matter. And there's other things that matter more. And it almost provides a freedom to have the ability to make mistakes and do what you're going to do and just say, you know what, this really doesn't matter. And if I, as I said way earlier, if you screw it up, it's 20 bucks, go buy a new one. Um, And you can't do that with your job. You can't do that. Uh, My other big hobby used to be flying planes and you screw that up. There's some serious consequences. You screw up a model and not, not a huge amount of consequence there. And I think it was just getting older and realizing what really mattered rather than over-focusing on on the box of plastic. Any other fears? Oh, I got tons of fears, but uh, I'm not sure any of them are related to modeling. Yeah, I was going to say snakes, but I don't think that fits this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Probably true. Well, occasionally when I do the putty worms, I get a little freaked out, but those are worms and they're not snakes, so it's okay. That's right. That's right. Any other things you guys do to to get past some of this that we haven't talked about? Again, going back to what I just referenced, the biggest thing that helps me block that helps me break one of those log jams when I I I'm stopped at a point and I either can't drag myself to the bench or I'm at the bench and I'm afraid to move forward on this project or that project. It is talking to other modelers, interacting with you or with Jim and interacting with folks on our our Facebook page. When you see some of their work, you see them moving forward, you see... The interaction helps, and it really does. And again, this is a hobby. It's supposed to be fun. So if it's not fun, step back, take a, take a moment and go, okay, what's stopping me? Am I, am I letting my life intrude on my modeling, or am I uh, imposing some artificial standard on what I'm working on? Am I letting my fear of failure stop me from trying? Again, I go back to Tim Nelson's statement to Jim, uh, then to me, uh, really did help me. What's your plan for getting better? If you're, if you're not doing something because you're not going to do it till you get better, how are you going to get better? Yeah, it's, it's not like it's magic or something, right? It, exactly. It is absolutely. It's not magic. It's not like if you go take an eight-hour nap, you're going to wake up a better modeler than you were. The only way to get to be a better modeler is bench time. And th- and this may seem a little kind of wound too tightly, but the one way I, I 
actually find it helps is if I'm avoiding modeling is just say, okay, I'm going to put in a half hour every day at seven o'clock. And even if I'm not getting much, it generally will break me out of the uh, malaise. I absolutely agree with that. I don't want to say make yourself, but yeah, make yourself. Because truly, if you've got one of those artificial roadblocks, particularly if it's life intruding on your hobby, making yourself go down and sit down at that bench, even if you cut one one part off a sprue and sand a little bit, you know, you will eventually get, all of a sudden you'll find yourself doing more and more and better and better. Well, and where I got got this from is, uh, I know Dave, you and I talk about Stoic philosophy sometime, and I read an article by Ryan, It's I think it's Holiday or Halliday, yeah. uh, who was talking about, yeah, we say we're going to read 100 books. Well, that's probably not realistic in a year, but it's very realistic to say I'm going to spend 15 minutes reading or I'm going to read one chapter. And I thought about that with modeling of, yeah, I'm going to sit down and if I clip one one part off a sprue, at least I'm making forward progress. So that's kind of the way I look at it. I don't need to finish it. It doesn't have to be done today, but let's do something. Let's move it forward each day, um, even if it's five or 10 minutes. And, and when you think about it, modeling, because it's so solitary and, and, and so focused on what you're doing, is kind of zen-like. It is very stoic in mm-hmm. that regard. Yeah, I saw something on Twitter that didn't have to relate to modeling at all, but it was talking about those of you who say you are losing focus what they said is you've just found different ways to dissociate. So when you were a kid, you'd lose yourself in a book or building a model, and now you obsess with over your phone or scrolling around the internet, and we've got all, or watching TV, we have all these bad feedback loops, and it's better to focus on the positive feedback loops than disassociate yourself with the negative ones, because it's so much easier to tune out in front of the TV or Twitter than it is to sit down at the bench and do something but you're going to be a lot better off. I agree completely. See, Mike, we're ending on a happy note. That's good. (laughs) See, we've solved problems today. We'll solve what's the right scale. Yeah, so it's going to say we'll solve the scale wars. What colors olive drab? Yeah. All right. Well, anything else? Do we move on? Nope, that's it. So, uh, Jim. At the end here, we do a shout out to uh, some particular individual, group, whatever. Do you have a shout out for, for this episode for us? A guest shout out? I if, if I can, I will do two. You're allowed to. Okay, then I'll do one. Um, no, you're, you're allowed to do two. <laughs> okay, the first one I will shout out to is our local hobby shop here in Renton, Washington, which is a little bit south of Seattle, Skyway Hobby Shop. Uh, it is a shocking existence in 2020. It is a plastics-only shop, and it's kind of the last of the old-time hobby shops. And it's a little bit our, kind of our group clubhouse, and it's been interesting with COVID. Once everything was sort of slightly under the table allowed to open, it has become the meeting place, and we see everybody from the club. Uh, so I really appreciate that email uh, has it available to us, and there's always lots of fun stuff to buy. And then my second one is John Miller of Model Paint Solutions. Uh, He has taught me so much about airbrushing. Uh, It's awesome. I'm still pretty crappy at it, but uh, anything I do right is John. Anything I do wrong is my fault. We've got to get John on here eventually. 
I, I, I certainly have enjoyed my interactions with him, and I know Mike has uh, uh, interacted with him over the internet quite a bit and found him to be very helpful. So, uh, yeah, the shout out to Dr. Miller is uh, definitely well-deserved. Mike, what's your shout out or shout outs? My first one is going to a, a, a business that's worth looking at if you're into scale model ships. It's called Model Monkey, and it's operated by Steve Larson, I think out of North Carolina. He has a really neat line of 3D-printed ship upgrades and refits. Model ships scare me if we're going to talk about fear. I, I just Ships are complicated, the superstructures and, and, and all that. There's a lot to a, to a large warship, modern yep. warship or you know, 20th century warship. And he's put a lot of work into this stuff, and... The reason I was on there is because uh, he's he's got a model of the, the the twin gun turret from a Nevada class battleship, which was the the turret on that class was the number two and the number three turret in the middle four and aft, right? Wouldn't there be a catapult on one of those? Yes, typically the number three turret had a catapult mounted on top of it, and unfortunately, it doesn't have what I need in the right scale, but. Um, I'm talking to him a little bit and I just want to give a shout out. It's worth a look. I, I don't know. I've not bought anything from him yet, but what he's offering looks really interesting. My, my other shout out is going to go out to all the folks who've found the, uh, based on our disclosure last episode and before the, the PayPal button on the website for contributing to the, uh, to the production of this podcast. I want to thank uh, Ian McCauley, our, other Canadian liaison up in Ottawa. He, he's made a contribution to us. And uh, he also had a comment. His comment was that uh, retro is kind of hip. So not to be outdone by MIG's dry brushing paint, AK Interactive will counter with a new line of tube glue. <laughs> All right. that That's a good one. Bravo. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, also, Tim Cavalier, he's written in a few times. He's made a contribution along with Tom Romanowski, Alex Restrepo, David Waples, and uh, Don Gilman. So thank you, gentlemen, for listening, and thank you that you're enjoying this enough to provide some support for the show. It's very much appreciated. Definitely, definitely. Well, my shout-out for the month is a company that I mentioned earlier, uh, Hannett's out of England. Hannett's is, I have said this probably to both of you before, but if I hit the lottery, you know, the stupid money lottery, probably one of the first things I would do would be to set up a trip to Hannett's, have a shipping container, drop ship there, and then just walk into their shop and start buying crap. They've got a really great website. They stock tons of stuff. Uh, Frankly, I think that probably they are as close to the most comprehensive store as far as the amount and number of products. When I'm looking for something that I can't find locally, Hannett's is my first stop for it. Great customer service, great shipping, reasonable uh, shipping rates, which in this day and age, particularly international shipping rates, uh, can be kind of 
kind of crazy. And Hannett's is fantastic. They're good customer service, and I've got nothing but but high praise for them. So Hannett's is my shout out of the month. And if that gets me a discount, I'll be thrilled. I have a very different opinion about Hannett's. I think they're awesome, but they hurt my wallet all the time. Like, I think Hannett's has taken more money out of my bank account than, you know, anything. Other than my local hobby shop, I am willing to bet that Hannett's has gotten more of my hobby money than any single company. Yeah, I would agree. Same thing here. All right. Well, we're coming up on the end. So, Jim, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me, eh? Hey, no problem. We'll do it again in the future. And uh, if we all manage the Nationals, we'll certainly have you by the table for some uh, conversation then as well. I hope we'll all be there. Well, Mike, it's getting to be that time. You know what they say. So many kids. So little time, Dave. Take it easy. See you, Jim. Bye.